Easter, Lent, Christmas, and the Cross. Number 1. Easter. The observance of Easter is of pagan origin, as the word Easter clearly implies. It is the same as Astarte or Ashtaroth, one of the titles of Semiramis, the Babylonian Queen of Heaven, in whose honor an annual feast was held in the month of April. The keeping of Easter was unknown in the days of the Apostles in the early Christian Church. Like many other pagan feasts and ceremonies adopted by the Church of Rome to conciliate the pagans to nominal Christianity, Easter was introduced into the Church about the middle of the 5th century. It is, therefore, of pagan and popish origin without any divine warrant for its observance. The word Easter in Acts 12.4 is a mistranslation of the original. The Greek word there is Pasha, meaning Passover. In all other places in the New Testament it is translated Passover. Even in the Roman Catholic Douay Bible the word is Pash. Hot Cross Buns and Easter Eggs Quote, The popular observances that still attend the celebration of Easter amply confirm the testimony of history as to its Babylonian character. The hot cross buns and the dyed eggs of Easter Sunday figure in the Chaldean rites just as they do now. The buns, known by the identical name, were used in the worship of the Queen of Heaven, the goddess Easter. One species of sacred bread, says Bryant, which used to be offered to the gods, was of great antiquity and called a bone. Mythology, Volume 1, page 373. Diogenes Laertius, speaking of this offering made by Empedocles, describes the chief ingredients of which it was composed, saying, He offered one of the sacred cakes bone, which was made of fine flour and honey. The prophet Jeremiah takes notice of this kind of offering when he says, The children gather the wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the Queen of Heaven. Jeremiah 7.18 The hot crust buns are not now offered but eaten on the festival of Astarte, but this leaves no doubt as to whence they have been derived. The origin of the Easter eggs is just as clear. In ancient times, eggs were used in the religious rites of the Egyptians and the Greeks and were hung up for mystic purposes in their temples. From Egypt, these sacred eggs can be distinctly traced to the banks of the Euphrates. The egg was one of the symbols of Astarte or Easter, and accordingly, in Cyprus, one of the chosen seats of Venus or Astarte, the egg of wondrous size was represented on a grand scale, unquote. That's from The Two Babylons by Reverend Alexander Hislop. Number 2. Lent In the 5th century also, the Church of Rome decreed that Lent should be kept before Easter. It ought to be known, said Cassianus, the monk of Marseille, writing in the 5th century, and contrasting the primitive Church with the Church in his day, that the observance of the 40 days had no existence so long as the perfection of the primitive Church remained inviolate. Whence then came this observance? The Church of Rome, pursuing her usual policy of absorbing pagan rites and ceremonies, in order to gain nominal adherence to the Church, added yet this evil of a sacred fast to her list of idolatries. The forty days' abstinence of Lent was directly borrowed from the worshippers of the Babylonian goddess. Such a Lent of forty days in the spring of the year is still observed by the Yazedis, or pagan devil worshippers of Kurdistan. They inherited this heathen fast from the early Babylonian masters. A Lent of forty days was held in the spring of the pagan Mexicans. A Lent of forty days was held in Egypt in honor of Adonis or Osiris, the two Babylons, by Reverend Alexander Hislop, chapter 3. So we can see Rome is by no means original in observing her pagan Lent. In connection with Lent, R. F. Becker writes, 
Rome has so modernized and streamlined her Lent to fit the present, and the lukewarm so-called Protestants have followed her as is their habit. In their observance of Lent, they only prove how the virus of Jesuit paganism has numbed their sense of sin. Well could our Lord say of the professing Protestants who observe Lent, You do dishonor me, John 8.49. Perhaps it is needless to remark about the ordinary individual's observance of Lent, continues Mr. Becker. It does not even deserve comment. The world's fast is no fast at all, to say nothing of a sacred fast. One gives up chocolate bars. Another does not eat butter. Another smokes one cigarette per day instead of ten or twenty. Still another refrains from drinking only one glass of beer or wine or whiskey per day. So sunk in sin is man that by these Romish pagan denials of the flesh he supposes he is placing himself in God's favor. Flee from idolatry. How dishonoring to the Savior to have his resurrection darkened by pagan festivities. The divine memorial of the resurrection of Christ from the dead on the first day of the week is the Christian Sabbath. To add to the divine memorial the pagan and popish festival of Easter is a device of Satan to turn away sinners from true worship of God as he did the people of Judah and Jerusalem when they were making cakes to the Queen of Heaven. It was in connection with his abomination that the Lord said to the prophet, But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction, instruction in the margin. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places. For the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. Jeremiah 7, verses 28 to 30. Are not Lent and Easter both of pagan origin abominations in the house of the Lord? Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10:14. 3. Christmas Christmas, too, was originally a heathen festival celebrated on the 25th December in honor of the birth of Tammuz. Ezekiel 8, verse 14, also called Baal the sun god, the son of Semiramis, the Babylonian queen of heaven. The celebrations included hymn singing in the street, riotous merrymaking, feasting, drunkenness, and the giving of gifts. Among the Romans, these pagan ceremonies, known as the Saturnalia, were held in honor of the victory of Saul Invictus, the unconquerable sun god, over the darkness at the winter solstice. The sun god in the Saturnalia ceremonies was likened to a small child. Yule Day is another name for Christmas. Yule is the Chaldee or Babylonian name for an infant or little child. The 25th December was called by our pagan ancestors, the Anglo-Saxons, Yule Day, the Child's Day, long before they came in contact with Christianity. That's taken from Alexander Hislop. The Christmas Crib This pagan festival was taken over by the Church of Rome in the 4th century to be kept in honor of the birth of Christ. Christmas is a combination of the Mass and the name of Christ. The festivities associated with Christmas are of pagan origin. They belong to the worship of Baal. Instead of the child Saul Invictus, we have the popular Christmas crib with the doll as the child Jesus. What a flagrant flouting of the second commandment. How awful the blasphemy to represent the eternal God in human nature as a doll. How idolatrous and worthless the religion that has a doll for its God. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Acts 17 verse 29. The Christmas Tree the decorating of an evergreen tree was part of the worship of Tammuz, or Baal, the sun god of ancient Babylon. Through the Church of Rome, the Babylon of the Apocalypse, 
This act of Baal worship has been handed down through the centuries and deluded Protestants by setting up Christmas trees in their homes and their schools and churches are guilty before God of upholding and perpetuating a practice peculiar to the worship of Baal. How could anyone connected with the worship of Baal be pleasing to the Lord? Was it not for countenancing such worship that the judgments of the Lord repeatedly fell upon the people of Israel of old? See 1 Samuel 12, verses 9 and 10. The Madonna and Child The Madonna and Child on Christmas cards and Christmas stamps is just Semiramis, the Babylonian Queen of Heaven with her son Tammuz, adopted by the Church of Rome to represent the Virgin Mary and her son Jesus. The Babylonians in their popular religion, wrote Reverend Alexander Hislop, supremely worshipped a goddess mother and a son, who was represented in pictures and images as an infant or child in his mother's arms. From Babylon, this worship of the mother and child spread to the ends of the earth. In Egypt, the mother and child were worshipped under the names of Iris and Osiris. In India, even to this day, as Isi and Iswara. In Asia, as Cybele and Devious. In pagan Rome, as the Great Mother, with the babe on her breast, or as Irene, the goddess of peace, with the boy Plutus in her arms. And even in Tibet, in China, and Japan, the Jesuit missionaries were astonished to find the counterpart of Madonna and her child as devoutly worshipped as in papal Rome itself. Xing Mu, the Holy Mother in China, being represented with a child in her arms and a glory around her, exactly as if a Roman Catholic artist had been employed to set her up. Unquote. The Two Babylons by Reverend Alexander Hislop, page 20. Fellowship with Devils How dishonoring to the Savior to have the purpose of his birth into this world darkened by rites and ceremonies belonging to the idolatrous worship of Baal. But I say unto you that the things with the Gentiles worship, they sacrifice to devils and not to God, and I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. We have no warrant whatsoever from the word of God for observing Christmas. The only warrant that can be advanced is the warrant of the Pope. At the Reformation, our godly reformers cast out Christmas, Lent, and Easter, along with the rest of the abominations of Rome. They acted on the scriptural principle, What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Deuteronomy 12.32 All worshipping or honouring or other service intended by the brain of men in the religion of God, wrote John Knox, without his own express command is idolatry. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Mark 15, verse 9. Christmas cards, etc. How sad in this degenerate age of widespread apostasy to see professing Christians bowing at the pagan and popish shrine of Christmas. How guilty parents are who, under solemn obligations to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to be leading them into these heathenous customs. For thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, for the customs of the people are vain. Jeremiah 10, verses 1-3. to Seek to honor Christ according to his word as our godly forefathers did. Have nothing to do with Christmas parties, Christmas trees, Christmas gifts, the selling or sending of Christmas cards or Christmas stamps. Avoid as you would the plague, the Christmas Eve midnight service and the Christmas crib. They all point to Rome. The observance of Christmas is largely responsible for the subtle infiltration and advancement of popery with its blasphemous worship and veneration of the Virgin Mary. Anew we are confronted with the question, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. 1 Kings 18.21 May it be ours to say in truth, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Psalm 119, verse 101 4. The Cross The cross as a sign of Christianity did not come into public use in the church until towards the end of the 4th century, when there was a definite falling away from the faith, 
and when pagans with their symbols and rites were admitted into the church on condition that they submitted to Christian baptism. Dr. Chuol, the learned Romish antiquarian, writes thus, quote, If we closely investigate the subject, we shall perceive that many institutions of our religion have been taken and translated from Egyptian and heathen ceremonies. Of this kind are tunics and surplices, the crowns made by our priests, their bowings around the altar, sacrificial processions and litanies. These et plusieurs choses, which the folly and superstitious ignorance of the heathen refer to their gods and defiled men with pomp, the music of their temples, adorations and supplications, our priests adopt them in our mysteries and refer them to the one sole God, Jesus Christ. Unquote. Another Romish authority, Didron, admits that the Romish Church found it necessary to appropriate the images of paganism, quoted by the Baron Porcelli in The Cross, Its History and Use, a pagan symbol. The cross is one of the oldest and best authenticated emblems of pagan worship. It existed in Asia, America, and Europe fully 2,000 years before the Christian era. The same sign of the cross, wrote Hislop, quote, that Rome now worships was used in the Babylonian mysteries, was applied by paganism to the same magic purposes, was honored with the same honors. That which is now called the Christian cross was originally no Christian emblem at all, but was the mystic Tau of the Chaldees and Egyptians, the true original form of the letter T, the initial letter of Tammuz. That mystic Tau was marked in baptism on the foreheads of those initiated in the mysteries, and was used in every variety of way as a most sacred symbol. It was marked on the official garments of the priests, as on the official garments of the priests of Rome. The vestal virgins of pagan Rome wore it suspended from their necklaces, as the nuns do now. When, therefore, multitudes of the pagans, on the conversion of Constantine, flocked into the church like the semi-pagans of Egypt, they brought with them their predilection for the old symbol. Thus, by the sign of the cross, Christ has been crucified anew by those who profess to be his disciples, unquote. The Two Babylons by Rev. Alexander Hislop. The sign of the cross was unheard of in the days of the apostles and the primitive church. Dean Burgeon, in his Letters from Rome, says, writing on the catacombs, I question whether a cross occurs in any Christian monument of the first four centuries. Witherow, in his book, The Catacombs of Rome, states, The first dated example of a single undisguised cross in the catacombs does not occur till A.D. 407. It was not till the 11th century that art attempted to represent either the agony or the death of the Son of God. Quote, the mystic Tau of ancient Babylon, the letter T, the initial letter of Tammuz, is now all predominant in the idolatrous worship of the Church of Rome, Babylon the Great. No prayer can be said, no worship engaged in, no step almost can be taken without frequent use of the sign of the cross. The cross is looked on as the grand charm, as the refuge in every season of danger, in every hour of temptation as the infallible preservative from the powers of darkness. The cross is adored with all the homage due to the Most High, unquote. The Two Babylons by Rev. Alexander Hislop. The Illuminated Cross The Illuminated Cross has its origin in the pagan cross of fire, the sign of Tammuz, the sun god, and the fire god of ancient Babylon. Quote, As there is reason to believe that the pagan festival of burning lamps was observed in commemoration of the ancient fire worship, so there is a ceremony at Rome in the Easter week, which is an unmistakable act of fire worship, when a cross of fire is the grand object of worship. This ceremony is thus graphically described by the authoress of Rome in the 19th century. The effect of the blazing cross of fire suspended from the dome above the confession or tomb of St. Peter's was strikingly brilliant at night. It is covered with innumerable lamps, which have the effect of one blaze of light. 
The whole church was thronged with a vast multitude of all classes and countries, from royalty to the meanest beggar, all gazing upon this one's object. In a few minutes the Pope and all his cardinals descended into St. Peter's, and room being kept for them by the Swiss guards, the aged pontiff prostrated himself in silent adoration before the cross of fire. A long train of cardinals knelt before him, whose splendid robes and attendant train-bearers formed a striking contrast to the humility of their attitude. What could be a more clear and unequivocal act of fire-worship than this? The Two Babylons by Rev. Alexander Hislop, page 155. The Preaching of the Cross For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 What is meant by the cross here? It does not mean the material cross upon which Christ died, for it would be but a poor gospel to preach the instrument by which Christ was put to death. As well might one take Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Christ, as a subject for preaching, or it would be as reasonable to extol and praise the crown of thorns as a subject for preaching but that would be a despising of him who endured in order that we might be saved. It is clear that the Apostle does not hear me in the material cross upon which Christ laid down his life. In the Church of Rome a great deal is made of the material cross. It has a great place in their public worship, and on their deathbeds a cross is set before the eyes of the people, that they may look on it in their last moments. They are directed to look upon the cross as their Savior, instead of to him who suffered and died on that instrument of death. The apostles never used material crosses in preaching the gospel. You may examine the whole of the Acts of the Apostles, and you will find no mention of a material cross connected with their work as ambassadors of Christ. In searching for the origin of the material cross in the Church of Christ, we find it was brought in after the apostles left the earth by the enemies of Christ and not by his friends, and not only so, but it is kept in by his enemies to this day. It is a most serious matter for people to maintain in a Christian church anything brought in by the enemies of Christ. Some say that the material cross is a symbol. A symbol of what? Oh, a symbol of Christ's death. No. To say such a thing is to confess ignorance. Even little children going to school can tell you from the shorter catechism that the symbol of Christ's death is the Lord's Supper, which he himself instituted. As often as you do this, you show forth the Lord's death till he comes. What a pity it is that people who have had the Bible in their hands and in their homes for so long should be under the delusion that the instrument upon which the Savior laid down his life should be the symbol of his death. I tell such people that they are ignorant of the word of God, and I tell them that, not from any ill feeling, but from sincere pity and from a desire that they should learn. What then is meant by the cross here? It means the doctrines of the gospel of Christ. The apostle speaks of the preaching of the cross. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. That is, lest the sufferings of Christ revealed in the gospel should be made of none effect. The gospel is Christ himself, for the gospel is not preached unless Christ is preached. In the preaching of the gospel, Christ is preached. Not a picture of him, not a representation of him, no, but Christ himself. His atonement is preached in the gospel as to that which satisfied divine justice, and as the only ground of reconciling sinners to God. There is no other foundation upon which a sinner can be saved but the atoning sacrifice of the Son of God in human nature, and that ought to satisfy the guiltiest sinner, because it satisfied him against whom we sinned. It ought to satisfy the guiltiest sinner on earth, because it satisfied the divine law in all its demands. And so Paul, who wrote this epistle, says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Extract from Sermon by the late Rev. D. McFarlane Dingwall. 
Ichabod. The material cross belongs to the worship of Tammuz or Baal, the sun god of the Babylonians, as surely as Easter, Lent, and Christmas. It is not of divine but satanic origin. At the Reformation, all crosses as aids to devotion or symbols of faith were abolished. When the cross is placed on or in a Protestant church in this age of widespread apostasy, one can safely conclude that the everlasting gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not in that church, but another gospel. Galatians 1, 6-9 Where one sees the cross, plain or illuminated, there Ichabod is, the glory is departed. The cross is not the sign of Christ, but of Antichrist. How much we need to give heed to the exhortation, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 15-18 to Ergades this Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-450, 3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said 
that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.